Okay, uh, welcome more to come, listeners, for to another episode of Stargazing. And uh, I'm Calvin Reed, uh, which you already know, uh, senior news editor, publishers weekly, editor of uh, 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 PW Comics World, and editor of the Fanatic PW's, uh the twice a month comics and pop culture newsletter. And I'm talking with Meg Lemke, PW's graphic novels review editor. Hi, Meg. Hey, Calvin. It's great to talk to you again. Uh, another episode of Stargazing. Um, well, um, what do you got for us this time? So we're going to talk about three books. And just a reminder, what we're doing here is the many books that we review at Publishers Weekly. We have some titles we grant a star, which is a special like little gold sticker to say this book is notable and excellently done. And all of our readers, which are librarians, booksellers, and all of you readers out there should pay special attention to it. Um, the reviews are anonymous. So we're also celebrating the anonymous reviewers, you know, selection process, but we tend to talk about books that Calvin and I really loved too. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to talk about three books today. And the first one published in September. So it's out now. And it's by Ali Brosh, who um, many of you will know because she was a New York Times bestseller with her first collection of memoir comics, Hyperbole and a Half. This is from um, Gallery. Mm -hmm. And it's massive. It's 529 pages. And it's called Solutions and Other Problems. And it follows in her style, which is a webcomic style, uh, you know, a hybrid of text and little wild comics, which is like a very <laughs> specific <laughs> style. Yeah, the reviewer says she has this wall-eyed, wobbly avatar who regards the world with bafflement as she hurls herself into one bizarre situation after another. Um, this book slayed me, and it also is a total gut punch. Like, you start it... Allie does these little vignettes that feel like moth stories that go awry, you know, weird episodes from her childhood. Um, one that gets talked about in the review is as a toddler, she, she puts her, she gets herself into a little bucket. Like she like squirms into a red bucket. And then, you know, from that, she sort of talks about like our desire to put ourselves in these unusual situations and how we get out of them. Um, the one that really kills me is she talks about, um, this little girl who every day when she as an adult, like leaves her house is her neighbor and wants to talk to her. And just this obsessive little child who's like, you will come see my room. And she's like, no, I'm not. Oh, going yes. To. I want to show you and my like, room. Yeah. Oh my God. The next day she's like, yeah, <laughs> my, my room is purple. <laughs> I mean, it just, it makes me laugh so much. And then the book takes a very dark turn, which I, we don't want to spoil it, but really this book is a lot about Allie having disappeared from the scene for a long time. I think people talked about like, where did she go? She disappeared and she went through some very, very dark and difficult times, both for herself personally and with her family. And she drops us into it. I mean, she really, she tells these little funny stories and then suddenly it's like, um, and there's a lot to take in and then we come back out of it. And I think that there's something about this work that feels very completist and personal and specific in a way that's, um, it's kind of magical that it's a book, honestly. It's, you know, she's really sweet generous in that way. Well, I, you know what? I agree with you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. well, I tell you this, <clears throat> I mean, this book, uh, this is, I mean, I, I forget how long it's been since, the really the book that seemed to really blow up. I mean, she was uh, really had had um, uh, attracted a, a really a popular, a real 
loyal following uh, through her web comics, and then she published the book Hyperbole and a Half, I believe it was called. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it really was a really kind of a blockbuster bestseller. It's out of nowhere. It was in 2013. She published um, it, so it's been yeah. seven years. And uh, really, uh, now I'm going to be honest. I did not really. Uh, I I learned about the book late and didn't get it at first. Even now, I'm, I don't really plug into her, her little stories, but what I do plug into, uh, is her really masterful cartooning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, her, I mean, it's, it's easy to say she's sort of quirky and wacky because she is, but really the cartooning is a powerhouse. Uh, it's just relentlessly manic and inventive. And the drawing, you really, it really just uh, captures you and runs away with it. <clears throat> uh, once again, though, and, and, and it is funny, uh, but really her cartooning, the, the, just the flow, the syntax of her visual mm-hmm. storytelling, it, it's just relentlessly creative and, and manic. I mean, it, it really uh, is impressive uh, and entertaining as well. To see each page unfold. So I don't always follow the story, but I love and linger over all of her pages. I mean, she's definitely out of this digital native world, right? Like she's yeah, somebody yes, who absolutely. her work is digestible. It's cutting through a lot of noise because it's so specific and weird. I definitely connect to her little stories, mm-hmm. but I think that's interesting because it speaks to the way that humor is so specific. Like people get a joke. Yeah. Right. And it hits them in a particular way. But I think that you're you're right, that it has to do with the skill of her artwork and that she, you know, we use this phrase a lot. It's kind of schlocky, but that deceptively simple style, you know, it looks like a child drew it, except it's actually a child who's a genius because, you know, the reviewer says Brosh's spidery and demented digital portraits, a visual expression of funhouse mirror anxiety fits her material perfectly. That's the thing, like her little stories and then the way she shows herself with these like, she looks like a bug, you know, she's like a weird little bug. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah I'm not sure what she is. <laughs> what that yeah. represents. So it's anthropomorphic. It's yeah. like a little alien in the world. And that sense of, of of somebody being in the world of anxiety is just beautifully displayed there. Um, and she clearly hits nerve for a lot of people. I mean, it was a bestseller and you can see oh, it's that. Oh, huge. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I mean, nobody's going to publish like a 530 page book of little someone's little weird internet drawings <laughs> if she didn't hit a nerve. <laughs> and I don't know. I thought it was a great book. I really. I loved it. And it's really, it's pretty like, it's definitely for adults, but I will say that like my read a little bit with my daughter and that story about the little girl just mm-hmm. like sure. cracked her up too. I mean, it's got, it, it works at a lot of different levels. And what was the one? There's the other one that the little girl that's uh, afraid of dandelions. Oh my God. Yeah. She's a, <laughs> she's a nanny. That, I love yeah. that. That was so funny to me. My, everyone's like, I'm just not going to make it again. Sorry. But like, I have a toddler and he is like a little <laughs> bit of a scaredy cat. And here's this thing. So we're in New York, right? And he'll see a pigeon and he'll go, scary, scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. For a hard life. If that pigeon is that, he's always like, scary, scary. <laughs> so yeah, there's a there you go. Well, she's a, she's a mistress of absurd situations. Uh, 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 it, vividly evoked with her her drawing style in mm-hmm. one uh kind of dementedly interesting <laughs> panel after another 
Um, so yeah, you know, um, uh, yeah. So we should go from Ali Brosh. So, you know, totally current millennial type artist to this really shocker of adaptation of Kurt Vonnegut's work, which was put out by Archaea also in September. Um, Slaughterhouse-Five or the Children's Crusade, a graphic novel adaptation. The adaptation was done by Ryan North, who's such a like kind of like modestly buzzy genius type running around. He's done these, (laughs) he's done, he's taken on Shakespeare. Now he's taking on Vonnegut. Um, and the artwork is by Albert Montes, who's a Spanish cartoonist, um, and really. It's, it's fabulous. Fantastic. It it really is. I never read, I never read the original novel, so I'm just confessing. But mm -hmm. this was, this is really a, an extraordinary, um, I mean, you know, it's, well, Slaughterhouse Five is one of those books where even if you haven't read it, you sort of, you know, I mean, you kind of know what it's, it's about. It's in the culture. You know, I mean, it's, it's in the cu- yeah, in the culture. it's kind of yeah. a part of the, and it's certainly in the counter, it's a countercultural right. canonical title. So I had never read it, but you know, I knew the major plot points. Uh, but really their ability to bring it to life on the page is really, uh, uh, really, uh, really kind of wonderful. I mean, it's perfectly suited to the form, but it could have been terrible. I mean, there's the market is like fatted with these like true boring adaptations, and they're scene by scene. But you know, Vonnegut's whole thing are these short, punchy sentences, right? Mm-hmm. And this and this book is a metafictional work. I mean, called in review a meta artistic work. I mean, it it allows it has such perfect opportunity for. On adaptation, and they run with it. I mean, the reviews they, do. they don't take kid gloves. You know, they they do things like you know, there's the the whole one of the whole conceits of the book is that time uh, is is actually flat, and that we all exist in all moments of our life at once. And so they do a timeline. They like they create yeah. that. It's it's a geometric. They create the vision that he describes in the book. You can see yeah. him in every period of his life. So once. you can do that with art. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, in <laughs> like, some ways, comics were almost perfect to, to, to create because the book is such – and once again, I did not read the original novel. Um, but uh, even as a comic, it's really wildly creative and inventive with the form of the book and with the form of the medium of comics, which is kind of perfect for doing it, uh, for kind of showing all dimensions at once, for instance. I know. I heard uh, To Calvin. leaping backwards and forwards in time. I heard you last week talking about our best books and several times, you know, sort of saying some of the best books, if we could only pick five, this absolutely would have been if we had a longer list. On yeah, that list. for sure. This was a real runner up. And I um, want to just put that out there. You know, we were focused on originals. There are a lot of adaptations or something about the discovery aspect of an original because an adaptation comes in at a marketing goal with a no name attached. But here we just want to, say this is a uniquely done take on an adaptation and the the adapting work uh that north and montes did just really deserves to be celebrated they did a fantastic job you know slaughterhouse five is an anti-war work it's a powerful anti-war work it's disturbing it's called the children's crusade because it's about the fact that like children are sent to war essentially that you know they were 18 19 year old kids in world war ii um, it's a very difficult work uh, about the treatment of prisoners of war, and yet it's also like a very of the 
moment in its time, uh, critique of capitalism, like what the meaning of a life is and recovery. It's about PTSD. And yet it's perfectly relevant to our current moment. It feels very much like a very current. And, and we shouldn't forget that, work. you know, that the, the, the centerpiece of this book, uh, this this book that sort of leaps back and forth mm-hmm. through different moments of, of suffering, uh, human suffering, uh, is the, you know, is the bombing of Dresden, the annihilation mm-hmm. of the city, the mass insanity of World War II, uh, uh, and the, and the, uh, the mass scale death and destruction that, uh, you know, it infects, that, you know, that we inflict on each other. So, uh, but it, it feels really is an amazing the adaptation. Fascism, the ease of like yes. this, the ease of like, uh, these kinds of mass scale genocides being just right around the corner of fascism. I mean, it's a very, disturbing work um but done with this sort of joyful at the same time interpretation i mean there's this whole subplot about uh a, a forgotten novelist who they make a cartoonist here which is a very funny nod to the form um who has these sci-fi stories that are real because actually the main character was swept up by aliens and he like has another child with a porn star who comes along with him. It's like, there's a lot of batshit stuff going on <laughs> in the original and in the comic. Um, it's a page turner. And yet at the heart, it's about the terrors of war. I mean, it's, it's really, Vonnegut's a genius and it's a great comic. I mean, really more than anything else, honestly, more than any adaptation I've read, it makes me want to go back to the original work. Um, and that's a, that's a success in itself. Yeah, it, it, it's really amazing because it, it, you know, it tells a story. I mean, it takes you through the course of his life, but he doesn't really, he doesn't do it in chronological order and he comes up with a way to do it that seems to make sense. I mean, you do experience all of his life kind of at once at any particular moment in the book. Um, uh, and, and comics just really works well. These comics certainly do. It brings to mind another, uh, a superb adaptation, and that would, of course, be uh, David Mazzucchelli's City of Glass. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Uh, which is a work so, I mean, it's a comics work that's so canonical. I mean, you, people often think of it as much as they think of the original uh, prose work. I mean, that spawned a lot of these adaptations, and here's one that kind of finally can match that. Right. Um, I mean, our reviewer said it's a rare graphic adaptation that enriches literary classic rather than serving as an illustrated crib sheet. Yeah, no, he, he, he's, he's really has found a way to, um, yeah, you know, yeah. to recreate this kind of really inventive formal Rubik's Cube that, uh, literary Rubik's Cube that, uh, Vernica, uh Vonica has created. And the so, art is great. It's good. It's really on point. Um, and it's funny and it's tragic and it's very readable. It's very accessible actually for, um, getting a graphic adaptation, but without being, um, too cartoony. I, I really loved it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, one last book. Yes. Let's do it. So we are going to talk about the party by Tommy Unger, mm-hmm. which is out from Fanographics, and this is November, and the book is out in November. Um, I do think they timed it for the election. It's a real like <laughs> critique of the ultra wealthy, and I, it's it's just a rarity. It's a little weird, disturbing book. It's a reprint. We actually typically do not ever 
cover reprints in the reviews pages because there's just too many of them. But this work was we made an exception on Gorari. It's a kind of a counterculture classic, I guess. Right, and it hasn't been it hadn't been reviewed before. Mm -hmm. It's out of print. This is the first time it had been reviewed. It's a 1966 counterculture classic. Uh, It's a long overdue re-release. Fanographics is great with these kind of re-releases. They did a a, there's a very hefty essay up front by Mr. Fish that actually (laughs) mentioned in the review, which you know, sorry, whoops. <laughs> who's, you know, having a moment. He has a lot of books coming out. That guy is busy. But <laughs> the book is essentially like a society pages sketchbook or um like something you'd pick up and, and leaf through in the society pages with this spidery handwriting and all of the text is completely flat, deadpan description of a party in the Hamptons. Um, but the characters that they're drawing are just become like these body horror, disgusting, you know, satirical characters where like rats are coming out of their eyes or like their face is just like a inverted flesh mound. Um, there's a lot going on with women's breasts where they're like rolling yes, down a... and picking things <laughs> up. I mean, it's, it's really like it, the artwork's on so many different levels. So it's really about, you know, just the kind of like disgustingness of the excess of the wealthy, um, in the Hamptons of the period. And it does definitely speak to the current moment. I'm mean, going <laughs> say, you know, as somebody who just dealt with the pandemic and a lot of people retreating to the wealthy, you know, areas, the vacation homes of, of New York, you know, it's a really strong critique of, um, of the 1%. And it's, it's a disturbing work to leaf through and it, it rewards rereading. Yeah, no, it's a, you know, it's, it's a classic sort of, 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 uh, political illustration, uh, uh, rev to a whole other level. I mean, you think of the, the, the Otto Dix, maybe perhaps, but it's really kind of the decaying, uh, uh, elite ruling, uh, mm-hmm. class, uh, and, you know, uh, offers up a, uh, a, a portrait of their moral character that's really monstrous. So, uh, you know, it's operatic, <laughs> satirical denun- uh, denunciation of, you know, uh, the elites, the power class. But it's iconic for real, for sure. I mean, you, the, 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 the images are, uh, you know, very memorable across the way. And he has a kind of line and a, and I, I, it's a kind of, you, to me, it, it, it is kind of rooted in a certain style and a period mm-hmm. of popular illustration. Cause he, I mean, the guy is a very famous, uh, children's book author. I mean, the children's book, but, but he did a lot of books like this. Yeah. And that's one reason why I wanted to, review this because he's known as a children's book illustrator and that's how he's celebrated but he was not a cuddly and cozy person in a lot of his work i mean this work is like well i mean i think he was didn't he come out of uh i mean i think he he wasn't he had escaped from germany i mean that he 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 know well i do agree that it's a it's a book for our time this is Mm -hmm. a guy who knew a fascist when he saw one and uh so i think that the power the passion of these drawings they're driven by, uh, it seems to me, a a uh, um, a, a, a white hot cl- class rage, uh, mm-hmm. and that he's translated in, uh, into these classic images. 
you know, in the tradition of, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't look like him, but, you know, like Thomas Nash, classic political cartooning that turned the power class into beasts and pigs and, uh, but these become demonic. Uh, uh, the, the characters at this party become, uh, uh, demonic characters in his, um, you know, a dissection of their class status. I mean, one of the things that I felt really fascinating about it is it's, it's almost subtle. Like there's several pages which just look like they could be fashion drawings with a little bit yeah. of a spider. Well, at the beginning, maybe a little bit, but that like, doesn't last very long. No, it doesn't last very long. <laughs> but you'll still get no. a page like that where there's like something kind of sneaky happening. Like everything seems fine. And then you see like, Oh wait, actually that guy doesn't have a head. Like it's just a yeah. weird, like they're, they yeah, like sure. any really rich, cartooning style it rewards you the longer you look at it and the text is negligible like you have to like work away from the text like you the text will you look oh i have to it's hard to read i mean it's handwriting that's difficult to read so you have to stop yourself and be like oh my god i've been surprised by this disgusting image of like a rat coming out of someone's eyes am i selling this because you should definitely pick it up it's a it's an really I mean, uh at a certain point book. It can seem like uh, like almost an, an old fashioned uh, New York cartoon or something, uh, right. but that, they, they, that yeah. they, he moves beyond that pretty quickly, and, and mm-hmm. slowly these uh, these uh, captains of industries and their you know their madams they all kind of devolve into these into monsters basically. Right, the reviews <laughs> twist the crowd into ever more bestial contortions as the night goes on. The effect is nightmarish, like Rolf sitting on a bender. Here a man with rat's tails hanging out of his eye sockets and Swiss cheese for a tongue. There a woman feeding her dinner to a gaping mouth in her stomach. There you go. Just, yeah, and I um, I have to say, all three of these reviews, like a, like a, the proud mother I am, all the reviewers did a great job. These are well-written reviews. Absolutely, and, and, and if I may quote from that same <laughs> review, uh, uh, who called it, the the party the society column of the damned. Mm. So great line and a great description. Nice job, my anonymous book. reviewers. I'm I'm very pleased with all of you. <laughs> yes, work. yes. Shout out to the anonymous reviewers. <laughs> you did a, you done good. All right. Uh, well, three star reviews. Um, uh, the stars are in the heavens and they're shining. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> How's that for it? Like a. Uh, a, a ending, uh, an ending point for our. I know our we, talk we would today. we would cut it from a review. Yeah, there you go. All right. <laughs> anyway, well, look, uh, uh, good to talk to you again, Meg. We'll do this again Thank soon. You, yeah, very soon. There's lots of great books coming out. All right.